Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it might help if you have seen it, as there are plot spoilers. So if you do proceed, just be aware that the plot of the film will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Patty Johnston, you're so fine, I just can't get you off my mind. I was going to start with a song, but related to the film that we're discussing this week. What song were you going, going to, to start a bit with? Of, a bit of R.E.M., but it's too late now. Ah. We can't both start with a song. <laughs> well, as long as we don't start at the same time, it's okay. This is true. Well, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. There we go. There you go. Yes, it's a good song. It is indeed. You a fan of R.E.M.? Yeah. Um, I, they're not one of those bands that I really listen to intensely. Um, but they're one of those bands where they'll go on a playlist, that kind of thing. Um, Losing My Religion is one of my all-time faves. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah. My general love for them is all over the place as opposed to having a real deep burning love for rem well you know most love is all over the place right yeah especially in the film seeking a friend for the end of the world am i right it it, it is all over the place <laughs> <laughs> yeah well let's jump right in then let's jump right in i really right. wanted to like this film but it worked very very hard against that did you find that? I like it. Um, yeah. I think it's very flawed, but I do think it's a good movie. I like it quite a lot. Well, is that the cat just then? That is the cat. She's manic tonight. I, I came home to find a, a little puddle of vomit on the floor from her. And oh, I was like, oh, no, Minnie, no. are you okay? She's absolutely fine. Um, whilst I was cleaning up, she was very busy attacking me. Um, and she's... Yeah, she's her usual insane self at the moment. Um, cool. So yeah, she is all right, but yet again is being a ball bag. <laughs> that, that seems to be kind of her thing. Yeah, yeah. She she enjoys being a bellend at every possible opportunity. A podcast um, ruining bellend. <laughs> but it's impossible not to love her. Yeah, that's true. Whereas Kira Knightley, on the other hand, I always very much struggle to like her and I really went into this film not wanting to dislike her because I feel like there's I don't know that I mean she's she's popular and she's in a lot of films but I feel like a lot of people don't like her and then a lot of films that we've seen her in she plays either very sappy characters or her performances are quite wooden and I went into it really hoping that this would change my mind but unfortunately it didn't. See I know what you mean about people not liking Kira Knightley and it's something that I've never really understood because I think she's really good um and I think she's got that kind of um with with actresses they're often expected to be as malleable as possible and there's very few 
female actresses that where they're allowed to have similar mannerisms from role to role um mm. unlike unlike male actors where they can quite happily be the same in every performance um off the top of my head Meryl Streep is the only one that springs to mind where she's allowed to do whatever the hell she wants and even then she often puts on a, a very different performance I, um, I thought she, you were going to say she often puts on a bad Italian accent <laughs> she also often puts on a bad Italian accent um, I don't know how many films she's played Italians in but as far as I'm concerned she's got a 100% record for bad Italian accents when she has to do an Italian accent yeah that I'm 100% confident on that don't don't at me um, yes don't at, don't at us about that, that but yeah you're right I, I think that there is there is something in that in that men no one cares that Ethan Hawke has the same facial hair in every single film, for example. Yeah, well, Br- Brad Pitt can be Brad Pitt in every movie. Tom Cruise can be Tom Cruise in every movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger can be Arnold Schwarzenegger in every movie. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that in the eyes of the critics or the the public. But when a an actress uses similar mannerisms from role to role... Um, those sort of trademark characteristics of their performance, it's often seen as they can't act. And I think that's a trap that Kira Knightley falls into quite a lot where she she has, she has portrays characters in a similar way, but it's kind of her trademark style of acting. Um, and, there's, yeah. and there's quite a lot of variation within that, but she's got all of these things, which are what makes her quite a unique performer in the first place. Yet people are quite happy to just say, oh, she's wooden, she can't do this, she can't do that. Whereas I think she's she's heads and shoulders above quite a lot of people in the industry, and that's not just because of her her advanced height. <laughs> Kira Knightley is in fact nine feet tall. That's yeah, a scientific yeah. fact. And Steve Carell is only three foot seven. So a lot of this film was done with forced perspective, which made it quite awkward. It was like The Hobbit, apart from trying to make them look the same height instead of the other way around. Seeking an elf for the end of the world. <laughs> Actually, that would have been a better one if it starred Will Ferrell as creepy man-child Buddy the Elf. Yeah, that would have been great. Imagine if that movie was also set in an apocalypse. Yeah, the elf apocalypse. <laughs> It'd still be cheerful and fun, I reckon. Yeah. Either that yeah. or it would just be an hour and a half of Will Ferrell doing sort of massively over-the-top comedy screaming in... With pain at how the world's going to end and everyone trying to comfort him, and he's like, "No, I'm going to cry now." Oh my god, the asteroid is coming! Oh my god, that'd that'd be a good film. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean about Kira Knightley, and I agree. But at the same time, I somewhat agree with the other side as well, and I often th- end up thinking that she's wooden and always going into films not wanting to think that, but then still thinking it, and I'm not quite sure why. Although the one exception is Never Let Me Go, in which I think her performance is really, really good, absolutely riveting, and she plays es- essentially the villain. I mean, there isn't really a villain, but she's, yeah, she's so- the society, antagonist. Society is the villain in Never Let Me Go, isn't it? Yeah, the, it's the the man is the villain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's the she's the antagonistic character in the film. Yeah. And I think it's a movie where the I mean I 
I we should watch that for this podcast at some point. Yeah, um, for sure. That we need to have lots of very cheerful films either side of it um, to try and get us in the right frame of mind. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's a movie full of incredible performances, but Kira Knightley is top of the pile for me. Even though everybody in it is near perfect, she is the best of the lot. Yeah, she's very good as someone who is kind of having her organs harvested and her body is decaying and everything. And she she looks, you know, she really looks the part for that and she plays it very, very well. And it is, it's atypical in terms of her other roles, I think. And a lot of the other roles that I've seen her in, and admittedly, I don't think that I've seen a lot of her work, but, you know, Pride and Prejudice, boring. Um, what else is there? Love, actually, you know, I mean, we, we've talked about that film in this podcast. Her character isn't exactly, you know, um, isn't exactly two-dimensional or even three-dimensional. So that's not really a fair one to throw in there, I guess. But I haven't, I don't think I've seen enough of her work, really. I'd like to see more of her work where I feel like she's she's good and breaks away from that stereotype. Yeah, and I think... She's at her best when she's like like most actors and actresses. She's at her best when she breaks away from like big budget movies and those sort of stereotypical roles. Um, so when she's doing things like um, "Lever Let Me Go" or "A Dangerous Method," um, she's much better. Um, one of the films that I like her in the most is a film called "The Jacket," which is a very weird movie that's like i have not seen that it's really odd um it's kind of about time travel and mental illness and the horrors of war all at the same time wrapped up in a vague romantic drama <laughs> it's it's a very strange movie um sounds with adrian, cool with adrian Brody and daniel craig in as well um it's yeah oh. it's a it's a good one great cast um yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a good movie that's kind of went under the radar um but yeah so i think she's at her best when she's not in pirates of the caribbean i guess i i was just looking at her wikipedia page right now and it said oh yeah pirates of the caribbean i'd honestly completely forgotten that pirates of the caribbean even existed (laughs) because it's such an old bunch of cliched horse shit based on a disney ride that I think I just blocked it out of my memory. The the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie is amazing. It's a real fun Hollywood blockbuster silly movie. And then after that, they just kept adding on convoluted layer after convoluted layer of backstabbing and betrayal. And it's just like, come on, guys. The reason we're watching these movies is for stupid pirates being stupid and going avarst and fighting skeletons. Um, but they kept trying to amp it up more and more, whereas in reality it just needed to continue being quite silly all the way through. Um, so weirdly enough, the, the the Pirates of the Caribbean movie that I enjoy the second most out of all of them is the fourth one that everybody hates because it's just a dumb action movie. Um, whereas, yeah, the second and third ones are just bloated, as bloated as the dead people that are on Davy Jones's boat of grim squid people <laughs> davy jones's film locker <laughs> i um i think i've only seen the first two i don't believe i've seen any of the subsequent ones i saw the first one when it came out obviously it was popular i thought it was cool 
but I was a bit a bit bored by it. And then I think I saw the second one in the cinema, didn't like it much, and then went off it. But I think it came it came out when we were in what our early teens. So the kind of and it has it occupies that Disney space where when you're at that age, you you think you're a bit too cool for the Disney cartoons, which obviously no one's too cool for the Disney cartoons. But if they're putting out stuff like this, where it's still kind of lighthearted and a bit childish, but has that sense of action and adventure, it's good. It's good for early teens, I guess. Yeah, I think it's just a fun action movie. Um, and they tried to make it more than that with the others, whereas they should have just left it as is. Um, and I don't know why they why they keep making them. Nobody wants them. Just retire them. Um, but the first one, the first one's a great film. Um, it's a it was a real good sort of like return to the top for Disney live action movies as well, where it was like a huge huge hit. I I don't know what you mean. I think every live action Dis- Disney movie is good. Are, are you are you saying that Homeward Bound isn't enough to carry the entire like goodness of Disney from all of the nineties through to the Pirates of the Caribbean? I think that Disney live action movies have always been incredibly successful at the box office. Um, that's why another Tron movie wasn't made for twenty odd years. Um, and everybody remembers how successful Black Hole was at the box office. Um, they, they've always done really well with their live action films. Definitely. Definitely haven't uh, dropped some duds in the water. <laughs> I've never seen Tron. Mate, I'm going to whisper this to you because I don't want our listeners to hear, but Tron, don't is, at me. Tron is really overrated and boring. Really <laughs> boring. <laughs> Oh no, but it looks boring in a good way, and that's why I want to watch it. Nah, mate, it's boring in a bad way. Just oh, watch, watch a watch the um, sequel, but instead of having any dialogue, just put the Daft Daft Punk soundtrack to the sequel on on a loop for the entirety of the duration. Oh, not Daft Punk. They do. Daft Punk. They do an an amazing um, an amazing like eighties retro soundtrack for um for the the tron sequel easily the best thing about it um and so like the tron sequel is is like total trash when it comes to plot but it looks really pretty so listen to the amazing soundtrack enjoy the pretty visuals and just forget about it immediately afterwards apart from occasionally humming some of the cool 80s tunes okay if if it's if it's 80s style then i'm open to it but mostly I don't I don't enjoy the music of Daft Punk. Is Mainly because it's just kind of everywhere and just sounds like... I know they're trying to be like robots, but it just sounds robotic and dull to me. Although obviously Get Lucky is the sound of the summer. Hashtag sound of the summer every summer. I like, I like Daft Punk and I like that they do that kind of 80s vibe, robotic electro. Have they still never been unmasked? I don't know, maybe. They they have a cameo in in the Tron sequel where they're both wearing their little helmets. Um, so they they not not their big helmets. Maybe <laughs> no, the little ones, the tiny ones. They wear their big helmets and then they have a tiny helmet on top, like a, one of those miniature hats. Oh yeah, yeah, like like a little fez. Yes. Um, yeah, maybe we're Daft Punk. We're two people. Who knows? You know. Have we? Yeah. Have you ever seen us in the same room? Well, exactly. I've never been in the same room as Daft Punk. Me neither. 
Maybe we are. Maybe we don't even know we're Daft Punk. Maybe this is an M. Night Shyamalan type moment. <laughs> M. Night Shorty, what is Daft Punk? We we turn up to a Daft Punk show and we're like, where the hell are they? Are they? And then like we both suddenly have a flashback. And it turns out the real Daft Punk was inside us all along. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So yeah, I, I have not seen Tron, but honestly, I love Homeward Bound so much that like that's okay. Disney can do anything that they want. We actually recently started paying for Disney Life, which is the monthly subscription thing where you get access to everything in the Disney archive, including loads of like amazing, like terrible live action films, including The Ugly Dachshund. Have you ever seen that? No, but I've heard you talk about the Ugly Dachshund before. I think I've I've talked about it quite a lot. And there is a sort of vaguely... that It does explore the relationship of a husband and wife. So I'm going to say that we, we're going to watch that at some point because it, it truly has to be seen to be believed. But Disney Life is, is pretty good. The, uh, apart from the apps, the actual apps in themselves are terrible. They're buggy as shit and the user experience is bad. But it's amazing to have access to all of the old stuff. Because it's sort of, sort of like old films that aren't in on DVD and that kind of thing, or cartoons you didn't know existed, or all the terrible sequels to all of your favourite cartoon films. It's great. So, do you get access to all of the horrible racist shit that they used to do? Or have they managed to wipe that from the archives now? I think they've gotten rid of most of the overtly racist stuff, but some of it's still in there. Like, I don't think Song of the South is in there, for example. Do you, do you get... I think, um, the Siamese song from Lady and the Tramp. Does that still exist? I would imagine that that is still in there, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. We, we are quite Siamese, something. if you please. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, so so Disney Life, that's... They're, they're going to expand that now that they own Fox, aren't they? Because that, oh, it's effectively... Before I know it, I'm paying for Fox Life, it's... and then I turn it on, and you've got, like, Homeward Bound, and then next to it is, like... Oh, who's that? Who's that angry guy? Bill O'Reilly. Next to it is like <laughs> Bill O'Reilly's epic adventure or whatever. Well, it was it was twentieth century Fox, wasn't it that they that they bought out? So I right. I don't know whether whether Fox News is part of the same conglomerate. I think they're sort of segmented off. Right. Um, so okay. you might avoid seeing an animated Bill O'Reilly movie where he's more racist than Song of the South. Um, oh no! What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so that so they're they're it, it's long rumored that they're going after the netflix bracket um mm. so by buying out fox in its entirety they're probably going to expand disney life um you'll get disney life fox life the gorilla channel all of that kind of stuff um i love the gorilla channel i mean it is the greatest tv show <laughs> um um on the subject of Donald Trump and his TV preferences, um, I, you, we both have shared this tweet today or yesterday of um, Botnik Studios. I really have to have to talk about this because they did one that was like a fake Coachella lineup of like algorithmically um, algorithmically generated band names where they like they feed things into a computer and it learns the language and then tries to make them. When it's all and it's all stuff like horse choir and yeah, things like yeah. that, but um, did you see the one they did of Fire and Fury as well? Um, was that the one where they? I saw one where they combined it with McDonald's menu items. Yeah, is that the one? The one? Like, I <laughs> yeah. was 
absolutely like I was um in I was reading it while I was um on on the toilet at work and I had to stifle some laughter so that the people would not hear me and think I was just laughing maniacally at myself on the toilet. I want to read you <laughs> just a, a little bit of it from the tweet because it is absolute gold. So it's, got, it's Botnik Studios on Twitter. It's chapter 10, Beef and a Chief. Trump's first hundred days of being president were a toasted grilled vegetable medley of ketchup and indignation. <laughs> Every, everybody around Trump had made an oath to use some of their fattest sandwiches and tomato slices to make his life a romantic time. Whenever Trump wanted, he would command beef and a chief in his bathrobe and his staff would have to get him a little bit of meat. I mean, it's the kind of thing that that could be true, you know? Um, it's, it's, yeah, it sounds like it could actually happen. This is the the true genius of it is that they, I think the machines know more than we do now almost because it's like all of this stuff could be totally real. Let's see. The ne- ne- it goes on. The investigators had little information on Trump's own emails because for 30 years as an alpha male, Trump used a slice of mozzarella cheese as a simple computer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could you happen. Know, he's such a weird old shitbag. That like you just wouldn't be surprised if he had a cheese computer, would you? No, he could. Um, he can have a cheese pewter. <laughs> a cheese pewter. <laughs> oh dear. Um, did you see that his little trip to the UK might be back on? Supposedly, yeah, but they haven't set a date yet. No, I don't think he'll come to London. I think he'll try and meet Theresa May somewhere where he can also play golf. I'd love him to go back to Scotland because the Scots love him so much. Yeah, they um, welcome him. They welcome him with open arms. They, the, the Scottish people love Donald Trump so much. They they think he's the bee's knees. Um, they're really grateful for his investment in the the Scottish economy. They're they're really glad for him destroying the beauty of the Highlands with his <laughs> shitty golf courses. They they adore him for that. Um, yeah, because so. the the Scots are really into golf. It's a well known a well known fact. <laughs> <laughs> golf i think was actually invented in scotland where it's the gaelic word for egg because <laughs> the golf ball is like a misshapen egg so before they had the golf ball they'd take the eggs after the hens were done laying their eggs they'd find all the misshapen ones take them out and then hit them and see how far you could make them splatter and then golf evolved from there that is entirely accurate um well i think yeah golf has actually got a very long and esteemed history in scotland um and um but they just don't like assholes i think is is the main thing about <laughs> the scottish people they do not tolerate assholes lightly um particularly no. ones with a with a very luminous orange tone of skin <laughs> um and a bad demeanor do they um, tolerate the assholes at night? Huge. <laughs> I'm just imagining that being said in a Scottish accent, like Scottish <laughs> Netflix. It would be amazing. I'm not going to attempt it. It would be offensive. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, yeah the, the Scottish people have put up with enough rubbish from Donald Trump. They don't need me trying to do a Scottish accent. No, I mean, that might be enough to, to cause a real 
revolution against both us and the Trump administration in Scotland. Yeah, and I'd hate to be on the same side as Trump on a thing, even if we're not technically related, you know. I wouldn't want to have a, you know, a common enemy. No, no. Um, but I think we'd we'd probably immediately surrender and join forces with the Scots in their in their great quest against Donald Huge Trump. Yeah, we'd we'd cave to their demands, which would mainly just be for us to only talk about Scottish films on this podcast, which would be fine. Which would be yeah, I could live with that. Yeah, I'd be all right with that. In fact, since it's Burns Night tonight, we really should have just watched a Scottish. It movie, is, shouldn't we? It's Burns Night. I totally forgot. I, f- I feel sad because um, I I I like doing a little alternative Burns night. So um, drink some iron brew, uh, do a nice chicken stuffed with haggis and like a nice sauce and some good veg, um, and and watch like I think last year we watched Train Spotting, which is the most Scottish movie. Yeah, um, yeah. but obviously with with vegan January. Oh, yeah. uh, can you get not... vegan haggis you can get a vegetarian haggis I don't know about vegan haggis but I just had some hummus and pita bread which was quite disappointing um, yeah when, when, when that's the not alternative, very Scottish of you when the alternative would have been haggis um, there's there's nothing quite as disappointing as, as hummus and pita bread as a meal yeah but other than that is how is your veganuary going yeah, You're almost at the end. Yeah, I am. Um, it's fine. I'm looking forward to having a pizza. That's the main thing. I want some pizza. Have you had one with vegan cheese? Um, no, no, I haven't. Um, I have had vegan cream cheese, which is fine. It tastes just like regular cream cheese. Cool. Um, but yeah, I haven't had. Um, I haven't had uh, any vegan cheese apart from that. Is it is it made from like oat milk? With someone squeezing the tiny udders of an oat? <laughs> um, it's made from coconut milk, the one that I have. Um, uh, okay. And then and then the it tastes the rake the normal one just tastes like regular cream cheese. But I my second lot is garlic and herb flavor, and they just garlic and herb the fuck out of it, which is which is all well and good. That is that is very good. Well, well done, well done for sticking with it. Yeah, well, I definitely right, could not actually. have done the same. It's been fine, but yeah, I do, I do want a big pepperoni pizza. That'll be the first cool. thing I I eat when when vegan January is done. Cool. Well, by the time this episode goes out, it will be February, mm. and by then I will have eaten at least one pizza. I'm I'm not going to say I have, won't eat more than one, if not two. Does like a small calzone filled with chocolate count? <laughs> That'll count. <laughs> or a calzone, um, as the Americans call it. I I prefer calzone. <laughs> I think well, calzone. Calzone. I think that's the correct pronunciation. Yep. That's you know they got the calzone. They got the TJ Maxx. The Americans are crazy. <laughs> Oh dear. And in you know, in the film, um, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, he's American. She's a British lady in America. Cause they had to just make her be see, this is the other thing with Kira Knightley and the Kira Knightley problem, as we've been talking about, 
in this one she plays a young woman from Surrey, which is what she actually is. And not that that's necessarily a problem, but it did kind of feel to me as if they defaulted to that because it would be easier rather than trying to have her go stray out of her comfort zone and do something different. Is that mean of me? So what you're suggesting is that she should have put on a bad Italian accent. Oh yeah, obviously. I didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to say it too much, but yeah, she definitely should have put on a bad Italian accent and Steve Carell should have cried in the rain. Yeah, that's what should have happened. But I think I think the fact that she was from a different continent was important for the point of the plot and kind of driving yeah. what was happening. So I don't have any problem with that. I mean, they could have given her a bad Italian accent and she could have been like, I need to go back to Rome to my family. <laughs> Put a horse head in your bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we get around to doing our musical of The Godfather, she's definitely going to be in it. Yeah. In a very important role. She'll, she'll, she'll play horse hair on your bed. <laughs> she'll take the role of Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah. Right, Kira. But we're no, seeing in... how versatile you are. <laughs> you, Marlon Brando yeah. now. And I want you to not be Marlon Brando from The Godfather. I want you to be Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now as Marlon Brando from The Godfather. <laughs> Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now playing Marlon Brando, playing Marlon Brando from The Godfather. I like it. There we go. And throw in um, the island of Dr. Moreau, Marlon Brando, just for good measure. Just for a, an added moment of crazy. <laughs> yeah. And you need to top and tail it with the parody of Marlon Brando from the Peter Serafinovich show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where he is to... like a giant jab of the hut slug. <laughs> shout out to the Peter Serafinovich show. <laughs> one of the funniest shows ever that for some reason they only got one series. And I still don't I, understand why. Yeah, there was there's one series and there was like a Christmas special, I think. Although he's done a lot of Brian Butterfield shorts, um, as in short films, not like spin-off clothing. I mean, but, I'd um, totally wear a pair of Brian <laughs> Butterfield shorts. I would as well, if they had the branding from the Butterfield gym. <laughs> I, I want a pair of, of um, Brian Butterfield boxer shorts with hoisting Crispy Owl written on each bum cheek. <laughs> That's my that's my <laughs> ultimate pants. Yeah, and then on the front it says Saturday is treat day, <laughs> so you can only wear them on Saturday. If you um, don't have no idea what we're talking about right now, stop listening to this podcast and go on YouTube and look up the Butterfield Diet Plan, and then come back. Okay, Watch now that you've now. done that, <laughs> call now. Um, <laughs> But genuinely, um, Peter Serafinovich is one of the most underrated comic geniuses of all time. Uh, the it, the Peter Serafinovich show was a sketch show um, with lots of really, really random and very, very funny sketches. And unlike most sketch shows, it wasn't as it wasn't very hit and miss. I think pretty much every sketch was really funny which isn't often the case with sketch shows, but it was really, really good. And, you know, he's a guy, he's the very, very tall guy. You recognise him from a lot of stuff. He was the the, uh, the voice of Darth Maul. Yes, he was indeed. And apparently he's in um, he's in this show, The Tick. Have you seen any of this? I haven't watched the new one. I know the old version of The Tick, and I know the animated series they made of The Tick. 
Um, but I've not seen the new one with Peter Serafinovich. I really want to get around to watching it. It looks really, really funny, and it's been kind of critically acclaimed, but I think has still fallen a bit under, flown a bit under the radar. So you should all get going watching that as well. But yeah, he's a, a genius and a very, very funny man. And I can't remember how we got onto him. Oh yeah, he as he, he a lot of his sketches are like um, acting masterclasses with famous actors, and one of them is he plays Marlon Brando in a kind of Jabba the Hutt slug costume. <laughs> Yeah, that one's really good. I think my favourite of those is the Al Pacino one, though, which is which is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, but yeah, overall, it's it's totally worth watching. His Italian accent is very very good. He's he's just great. Maybe he should have been in the Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> it was a a romance between him and um, Clint Eastwood. That would have or, been amazing. Or him and himself. That. He could play both parts. Yeah. I reckon he could pull that off, for sure. He definitely could. He could do good crying in the rain. He'd enjoy asking himself if he wanted to fuck on the linoleum one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, But yeah, so So, I I don't have a problem with it being Kieran Knightley is from England and she needs to get back to England. I think that's right, fine because, because the... that gives some impetus to the plot. And otherwise, like, the whole plot is about aimlessness when faced with the void of death. Um, yeah. And if it was just two people with an, a total lack of desire or even one person with a total lack of desire, you'd kind of be thinking, like, why are you doing this? And, like, if they were from the United States, you'd be thinking, why are you not going to your family? And then they'd have to write it that their family was dead or something. And then you'd be like, oh, okay. That's kind of yeah. a bummer. I did think about that. But you, you could also equally have done like, oh, her family was there on the East Coast. Her family's on the West Coast. They can't get there because all the roads are fucked or something. And then you'd still have been able to have Martin Sheen as a deadbeat dad who's also a pilot. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's a bit more... It, it would be like, really? Every road is blocked? Every single road to get across America? Yeah. It, it would or be a little, then... bit, a little bit too far-fetched because it is a film that feels very... Although it's this this future where the world is going to end, there's this big old asteroid coming and you're going to die. Everybody's going to die. There's no escaping it. Um it feels quite real. And I think what I really like about the film is the way that it portrays the various different ways that people are coping with the fact that they know that humanity itself is going to be destroyed. Um, and so like breaking that with something a little bit sort of fantastical would kind of remove the power of what really works about the film, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, I actually, I thought the setup um, and all the peripheral stuff was actually really, really well done. It was totally believable all of the asteroid stuff, and it did get you really thinking about, you know, what would you do in that situation? What would you do if the world was going to end, if an asteroid was going to hit it, and you had, a, you know, a little bit of time, but not necessarily enough time to make, like, a really huge road movie. But, you know, you could get an okay road movie out of it. But I, I thought that, yeah, the setup was really, really good. It opened really, really well, and it didn't try... It didn't labour the point about it being the end of the world either. It was It was definitely just kind of going on there, in the background and that I thought was very very strong and definitely worked in its favour 
I just didn't believe the love between them. Did you? And I, I completely agree with you. The, the, what I like about this movie isn't the main two characters. It's everybody else they meet along the way. And like the intricacies of like all the people in the TGI Fridays who are basically just <laughs> yeah. high on E the entire time and just having a massive party until the end of the world and still serving the people that come in um, and keeping that kind of like family dynamic going with all the people who work in the restaurant. Um, and it kind of like, it, it cuts home quite well to the kind of camaraderie you get when you work a service job and you all get on really well, where you kind of feel like there's this fuck everybody else we're doing our own thing and it kind of makes that difficult work enjoyable and that sort of came across really well in that scene then you've got like the um the guy who's hired someone to kill him as well um you've oh yeah (laughs) you've got the really officious cop who's going to continue holding upholding the law until the end of days um so minor things like not having insurance on a car he'll he'll impound your car for it and put you in a jail cell for it or disturbing yep. the peace um and, and it's then all you'll get those... released by jerry from parks and recreation <laughs> yeah and so like it's all of those little moments that i think i really enjoyed about this movie and um particularly like the bit at the beginning where where um steve carell um goes to his job and the boss is like saying hey who wants to be the cfo yeah there's like four people left working in this insurance company um and they're all just like woo yeah end of the world yeah (laughs) it's 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 yeah it's um yeah it's all to do with the minor characters this film um i completely completely agree i you don't really care for steve carell you don't really care for kira knightley um in it i care for the dog you care for the dog because it's a dog um, but yeah. but they're the they're the least believable thing about this movie. And although there's like there's some very sweet lines of dialogue in it um, that work really well. Um, just overall, I feel as though that chemistry isn't there. And perhaps like making it a romantic thing might not have been the best course of action. Yeah. You're right. It would have actually been a lot better as just a, a meditation on what people would do in that situation. And obviously you'd had to have then derive a plot from something else unless you were to go full Richard Linklater slacker mode and just have lots of kind of non-sequitur scenes over and over. But then that would have made it quite a different film. Although I would definitely pay to watch that and I would enjoy that. But yeah, the the scenes, like you said, the one where they're they're in the TGI Fridays and everyone's still there and they're having a big party, and the 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 cleaner keeps coming back to clean the place even though the world's going to end, um, and it makes you really really think that obviously life would still go on, and the whole time I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't continue to live my life as normal. I think if I was in that situation. I sure as hell wouldn't go to work, you know. I'd be, I'd be, I'd become sort of hedonistic and just try and fill my last few few weeks with all the things that I enjoy doing. But people are so, t- people are creatures of habit. People are tied to routines, and people find that kind of thing comforting. And it actually really got that aspect of humanity across in a really good way by showing that kind of atmosphere in the restaurant. And it was they were still doing a great job of serving in the restaurant and celebrating birthdays and stuff and. It was really that was really that was really warm and funny and 
yeah, the, all those elements were really, really good. And it starts really well with him, obviously. His wife leaves him and then his friends are trying to set him up and he's going to parties. And it's um, Connie Britton as his friend's wife who tries to seduce him. And then he's like, no. And she's a wonderful actress. She's in Nashville. She's in loads of stuff. Yeah, Connie, Connie Britton's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Should have had a bigger part. I wanted to know more about her character. Yeah, and you, you want to know more about all of that friendship group as well at the beginning. Like the, like, I've forgotten the character's name, but the woman they tried to set him up with, who's like, this is everything. Like, she, she turns up to this party and she's incredibly well-dressed for it. And her explanation yeah. is, this is everything I never wore. And so she's wearing the best mm. that she was saving for a special occasion. Um, and now that special occasion is never going to come. And it's those little moments like that that really sort of capture what people would do um, the people who turn up to the party, these two middle-class, middle-aged people who turn up with a bag of heroin yeah. um, and are celebrated <laughs> for bringing heroin to this party because, you know, you're going to die in 21 days. You might as well do some heroin to see what it's like, you know? Yeah, why not? You only get the chance this once. And yeah, that side of it was really good. It could have been then very interesting as a, a movie that explored friendship in that context. Like, would you spend time, you said you want to spend time with your friends and your loved ones, but rather than dealing with, you know, maybe it wasn't even a, a thing that crossed the creative team's mind, but rather than, it felt to me like that rather than dealing with the very fertile ground of friendship, they chose to use their very, very good idea and their very, very well-observed things about the end of the world to just push an incredibly saccharine um and dull romance and very, very dull and obvious stuff about wanting to be with family. Whereas it's like, well, yeah, obviously, yeah, you need family, call your family, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I'd much rather have known more about all these other interesting characters. Yeah, I agree. And like, there's, there's a couple of moments where they even cut well to the core of family and sort of like the frictions that would happen. So at the, at the dinner party that, that um dodge is at i still don't like his character name by the way and that's something that i took away it's from really annoying it's it. like what what is the point why is he called that yeah. it makes no you sense could have just called him bill bill yeah um i yeah, don't know why he's called fine. dodge because it's it's like it's trying to say something but it's not saying anything at all so what it's saying is that it's saying something but it's not really saying anything it's like damien hurst <laughs> this movie's main <laughs> character is like Damien Hirst. Um, Full of shit, in other words. <laughs> a cow Have cut already... in half. <laughs> yeah, half a cow in for... <laughs> seeking a cow for the end of the world. <laughs> um, have I already ranted on this podcast about how much I fucking hate Damien Hirst? I don't think you have. Uh, well, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but he can get in the formaldehyde sea. He is the <laughs> fucking worst. He is full of shit. And all of his art is just about the concept of saying, you know, how kind of vulgar and crass it is. And that's all there is to it. And, you know, the kind of big crystal skulls that cost however many millions and were built by some minion. Fuck off. <laughs> I was going to bring up the stupid giant <laughs> diamond skull. <laughs> um, like that's supposed to be some great work of art when all it is saying as a work of art is... It's big and expensive. Oh, and also it's about death because everything's about death because we're all going to die, man. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you kind of glitched out on me there. So I just heard everything's about death. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, that's that's it, really. I mean, I, I, I like a bit of bleakness. I like a bit of death. You know, I don't mind art being about death. 
you know, I love those kind of like medieval paintings where skeletons are doing fun stuff. You know, I'm a big fan of the skeleton, <laughs> but the crystals, the the diamond skull, can can quite literally get in the bin. Um, my favourite thing with a crystal skull is um, the Fifty Cent video game, Fifty Cent Blood on the Sand. <laughs> Yeah, um, because where... I read about this in a Charlie Brooker column because um, he played it and dissed it in one of his columns. And he said, that apparently, at the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of the game, there's like an animation, and then Fifty Cent goes, "Bitch took my skull." <laughs> yeah, basically, um, he plays a gig, I think, and then he gets paid in a crystal skull that then gets stolen, um, if I remember it correctly. And then the rest of the game is him killing terrorists to try and get his crystal skull back. Is he uh, on the cover of the game? Is he credited as Curtis Jackson, Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson, or Curtis Fiddy Fifty Cent Fiddy Jackson? Well, all I know is that the game is called Fifty Cent Blood on the Sand. I'm not sure whether he's then credited separately within that, but it's not <laughs> Curtis Fifty Cent. I saw his face it's... on a film poster this very morning, and I can't remember what it was. I think it was a dumb action film. Let's see. 50 Cent. <laughs> top, just give him top, top headline. 50 Cent forgot he had a stash of Bitcoin now worth $8 million. <laughs> you know. That's amazing. I don't know how, but somehow, Fiddy always lands on his feet. You know? He's secretly a cat. Um, if you want to know something funny about 50 cent blood in the sand it's actually that it's a ridiculously fun game um oh have, have you actually played it i have played it yeah um through, have you much, played it through to completion i have not played it through to completion <laughs> i probably should do one day um but it's actually a whole lot of fun and it's really stupid um it's yeah he uh it's it's really good fun and it's totally worth playing so definitely get on it yeah, I found the Charlie Brooker review. <laughs> the headline is from 2011. The headline is, Caught singing for tyrants. Don't be embarrassed. Do what 50 Cent does. Embrace it. Because at the time, I think um, Fiddy had been caught performing for Colonel Gaddafi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it does kind of follow that that kind of dynamic. It's like, yeah, I'm... I'm just playing a gig in this random country. Oh, they took my fucking crystal skull. <laughs> Gotta go get it back. <laughs> Give me that machine gun. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I feel like Damien Hurst knew what he was doing with this. Him and Fiddy are probably mates. I reckon so. If um, it turns out that Damien Hurst has a stash of 8 million Bitcoin or $8 million worth of Bitcoin and it turns out that that's somehow his latest work of conceptual art, he can fuck off even more. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um what about a, a skull made up of bitcoin symbols nope rubbish don't no, want it not not a fan of that nope <laughs> um how did we get onto this who did i say was like damien hurst um, the name Dodge in this movie. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. It's it's saying um, it's trying to say something but saying nothing, but it thinks that it's saying something because it's saying nothing, and that saying saying nothing is saying something when actually it's just saying nothing. Yeah, 
Um, and and yeah, it's, it, it's a weird film because I really like Steve Carell, and I really like Keira Knightley, but I don't particularly like either of them in this movie even though they're not really doing anything different from what I normally love them for. Like Steve Carell in mm. this movie is, it's like his role in Dan in real life. Um, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's very, very good. Um, or, or, you know, it's got those same kind of tones as him in, um, in what's that Virgin movie? The old Virgin. The 40 year old Virgin. He's old man Virgin. Is it, that's what it's called, right? Um, yeah, old, old man virgin. Old man virgin, um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it, it, and he's got that same kind of thing going on. The sort of like aimlessness, uh, the sort of lack of impetus, that sort of awkward energy that he has, um, and that that sort of you just want to go give him a big hug and be like, "Mate, I'll be your friend." And he's got that going on here. And Kira yeah. Knightley's got the same kind of um, energy around her character that I normally really like her for. Um, but yeah, there's just something about it where it doesn't quite work well. And I think maybe it's because like the world they've created is so interesting that it would be better almost if you had two blank slates like a Richard Linklater film um, and just sort of like push them along through this world and let let them meet these characters um along the so way. So what you're saying is that Richard Linklater should be involved in every film ever. <laughs> exactly. He should be he should direct every single movie. Um it, it yeah, I, I just think like this is a movie where I mean I mean there there's two ways which I think I think seeking a friend for the end of the world had so much potential. And I think there's two mm-hmm. ways that it really could have worked. One of them would have been to make it up as a, as a straight core slack a mumble core flick with like it could even be an already established couple who are doing the rounds and seeing people it doesn't have to be a sort of will they won't they romance um yeah. you could um, it, away we go but there's an asteroid instead of a pregnant baby instead of a pregnant woman not a pregnant baby that would be really <laughs> a pregnant <creepy>. baby <laughs> um that's the, the sequel a, to junior that never happened <laughs> Instead of a pregnancy, there's an asteroid, and it's this couple going around and seeing all of their friends uh, and their families before they all die. And Danny and DeVito trying... plays the asteroid. And Danny DeVito is the asteroid. Um... <laughs> um, and and again, it could be about rather than being a, about a place where they want to live forever, it would be a where the place where they want to be at rest for those final moments together. And at the end, they realise, hey, let's just be on our own. There, I've, I've improved seeking a friend for the end of the world. Give me some. That money, would have been, <laughs> that would have honestly been an infinitely better film, and that is a film that could get made, because given the how much how much well, I don't know about you, but I think about the idea of the end of the world quite a lot. Not that I not that I'm like a morbid person, but it is something I think about, and I think a lot. I think most people do at some point. I'm surprised that there haven't been more films like this, or maybe there haven't. I just haven't seen them because I'm an ignoramus. But I feel like. I'm surprised that there aren't more films that try and deal with romance in that context. You know? And I do remember seeing the trailers and the posters and thinking that it looked quite original. And it, it was quite original, in a way. It just really, really suffered from getting bogged down in an incredibly dull romance that really lacked chemistry. Yeah. Um... And wasn't well written either. Um, because 
it kind of it wanted to have it both ways, which is that I felt very very invested in her getting back to her family until you had the the phone call with them um, when she made it to the house and she was crying on the phone. I don't know. To me, that just felt incredibly trite. And from there, that was the, the moment when I stopped liking her character and I stopped caring. But I really, really cared about Steve Carell and the lost love and the, the, the chasing the this woman who wrote him the letter and stuff and getting to the house. Um, and I was really, really invested in that. And then when it took a turn away from that into their romance, I was like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't invest in that and then invest in this as well. You have to choose. And I felt like it kind of tried to sit on the fence and then was like, oh, yeah, obviously it's going to be the woman who's actually there. And they're not going to deal with him actually, him and the, the woman he actually really, really loved. Because I also, I always wonder about the, the idea of finding people in that context. Or if you knew you only had two or three weeks to live and you... And, you know, you, you could go and chase down this person. Obviously, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. I but mean, it, what, it, what, what would, what it would uses you do? that in a cynical way. What, I, um, well, actually, I'll come back to that question. I, I completely agree with you about that. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind that scene where she manages to get through to them on the phone. Um, but at that point, you needed to make a decision. Um, it should have been at that point, she says, OK, I've had my closure let's go find your long lost love or it should have been i really need to go see them get me on a plane but instead it kind of aimlessly drifts between the two and it ends up being patrol my real love blah 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 um and i didn't mind the actual performance of it and according to the trivia kira knightley made the entire cast and crew cry while she was filming that scene so when she made that last phone call through so she clearly did something right. Either that or she was right. just sneakily throwing onions everywhere. I mean, like, cry, <laughs> cry, you scumbags. Yeah. That, Maybe she made them all cry because she was just really mean to them. That, that's what Kira Knightley sounds like, by the way. She's actually the greatest actress in the world because her real <laughs> voice is, hello, I'm Kira Knightley. Would you like an onion? Did you like my performance in Pirates of the Caribbean 3? Yeah, they originally cast her as a pirate. And then, and then she was like, "Oh, I could also, I could also be the, the lady." And then they were like, oh, "Okay." She was um, actually up for Jeffrey Rush's role. Um, yeah, originally it was the other way around. Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey Rush was Rush. wearing the he was wearing the corset. Yes. Um, he 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 fell in love with Orlando Bloom, um, but then also fell in love with Jack Sparrow, and then they had a convoluted, will they, won't they, three way romance thing for three movies when. Nobody would be with Jack Sparrow because he's obviously a manipulative, absolute scumbag. Yeah. Who gets eaten by a, a giant squid. Like Does an he? idiot. Yeah, no, that happens in the alert. second film. He's like, oh, well, I'm being eaten by a squid after he gets betrayed by Keira Knightley. Who's like, sorry, Jack, <gasps> but we've got to get everyone else away. So we're going to sacrifice you to the giant squid because you're a, a creepy little pirate man. Then he gets Creepy eaten, man but then they go and get him back somehow, and I can't remember how, but they get him back. Disappointingly, oh, so not sick. by capturing a giant squid. And then cutting it open to find him alive in the belly of the squid. Yeah, which is exactly how it works in real life. If Pinocchio yeah, has taught me anything. <laughs> if the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time has taught me anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, what would you do then, Paddy? If if uh, if if you were watching Fox News 
and and, yeah, and a racist man fox life and, and, a <laughs> and racist, bill o'reilly came on. yeah a racist old man said it's all obama's fault this there's a big asteroid coming and it's gonna it's gonna kill us all um somehow god <laughs> Thanks, emperor <Obama>. trump <laughs> somehow god emperor trump cannot stop this asteroid from killing us all um what would what would be your what would you do I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. I pr- I think I probably wouldn't go anywhere actually because I'd be too worried about what everyone else would be doing that like you wouldn't be able to get anywhere on the roads or I'd be too worried about infrastructure failing that I think I probably wouldn't actually try and go anywhere. I'd just kind of bed down in my house and try and make sure we had enough food to see it out and just keep warm and just read lots of books. Either that or if I could still get to the US I'd go to a major league baseball park and like get someone to go with me and like, like try and hit a home run in a major league baseball park. I'll do something stupid that would like be that. Cool. That would be cool. What about you? Um, I have lots of video games that I have not played. Um, so <laughs> pop some ecstasy, play video games for the remaining time until oh yeah obviously i'd take all of the drugs yeah i'd I'd definitely go through an assortment of different drugs because there'd be no long-lasting ramifications for it and be like hey i wonder what this does oh that sounds that feels nice um no one thing i'd really want to do because even if you overdosed and died you were gonna die anyway right well exactly um i i'd really want to do something completely outrageous that you'd never be able to get away with otherwise so like pull down mooning yeah, pull down the trousers of like Jacob Rees-Mogg, or <laughs> or 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 set fire to a UKIP van, or or break into a, a the National Portrait Gallery and eat an incredibly famous painting. Just rip a bit <laughs> off and eat it, and be like, "Fuck you! I just ate the Mona Lisa, motherfuckers." <laughs> No, you have to eat the whole thing. You can't do anything by half measures. <laughs> if you're going to eat a painting, you have to eat the whole thing. Okay, but it's yeah, like, no, I'd love to... Yeah, okay, that's that's my thing. Hans like, Holbein put to, a, lot of, a lot of effort into this meal. <laughs> if, if The moment I find out that the world's going to end up to the National Portrait Gallery, step over the little velvet barrier, take down a relatively small painting, but a nice one, and just eat the fuck out of it, and just eat. You know, there's painting. a um, there's a portrait of Ed Sheeran in there. You could eat that. No, I'd take that off, and then I'd step on it, and then give it a little wee on, and be like, "You don't deserve <laughs> to be in here, Ed Sheeran." <laughs> this is for Galway oh. girl, you fuck. Oh, that song is the worst. He's it's the really worst. Terrible. Um, old. Have Ed, you heard friend my of the son um, Sheeran? My mashup of that song with. Um, tub thumping. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, um, there's um, a podcast, or there was a podcast called Unbreak My Chart by the two brilliant music journalists, Fraser McAlpine and Laura Snapes, and they um, they where they would talk about the music charts every week, and they just stopped doing it because they didn't have time, and it was really sad that they stopped doing it. But they issued a challenge one week for someone to do a mashup of Galway Girl and Tub Thumping because Laura suggested that it is just Tub Thumping for the millennials. And I was like, oh, I've got 15 minutes. It was easy enough to find an instrumental of both tracks or slash acapella vocals. So it's it's the music of Galway Girl with the lyrics of the with the vocals of Tub Thumping. Oh, and amazing! It, and it's horrible, but awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See Ed Sheeran. Um tries to appear like a really nice friendly 
progressive man, yet more than happy to play private gigs for the editorship of the Sun newspaper. The Sun. Um, the scum. And, and so he can fuck off, you hypocritical ginger bastard. Get out. <laughs> I I feel conflicted about this because, as you know, I opened for him once. And this, this isn't yes. fake news. This is yeah. true. It's legitimate um, truth here. And he was very nice. And admittedly, this was 10 years ago now, almost, or nine and a half years ago. So it was before he was a star. He was a young, he was a young child. Um, and, but even then, he was really good. He really had the star quality. And he covered Pony by Genuine on his little guitar with the loop pedal. And was embarrassed about singing the rude words. And he was very, very nice. He gave me his album for free because I didn't have any money. Um, and yeah, he, he was genuinely, seemed like a really, really nice kid. But, you know, that was 10 years ago. So since then, he has committed some crimes against music and obviously played for the editorship of The Sun, which, you know, The Sun, you know, you're a, you're a Liverpool fan. I'm not a football fan, but um, most of my family um, on my dad's side are from Liverpool and are Liverpool fans. So, you know, never buy The Sun. Never, ever buy The Sun. Do not support it. It is it is criminal. They are criminals. And yeah, we don't need yeah. to go into it, but and, and, it and can like- absolutely fuck off. Yeah, the Sun newspaper is a blight on the journalistic landscape, and it has been forever. Um, and like, I'm sure he is a nice guy, Ed. He seems like a nice guy, but don't do stuff like that, Sheeran. Come on, like yeah. you're better than that. you don't need to do. That. You don't need the publicity. You don't need the money. And even if you did, just don't. It's not worth it. You've sold your soul for what? He doesn't need anything. No. That's the thing. He needs to stop writing songs about Ireland. That's what he needs. <laughs> yes. The, the kind of cod Irish plastic paddy nonsense of that song needs to be erased from history. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, eat, wouldn't eat his portrait. But what I, what I think we should do together, if the, if the end of the world does happen, is we should, we should get in a car... And we should do. We should drive to Jacob Rees-Mogg's house and just relentlessly insult him for three weeks. <laughs> That's what we'll do with our three weeks left. Is just turn up at his house and say, "Oi, you look like Dennis the Menace's next door neighbour from the Beano." <laughs> Walter the Softy. <laughs> <laughs> I never realised that before, but he looks exactly like Walter the Softy. He does. He he is he's the worst character in the Beano. The character in the Beano that everybody hates. Conservative yeah. Party, you really expect us to vote for Walter from the Beano? Come on. And Get and Walter it. wears like a blue suit. Yeah. And Dennis wears red. It couldn't be more obvious. Yeah. Or, you know, or we could do like a whistle stop tour of going around all the terrible, awful politicians who clearly caused the meteorite to come. So it'd be, you know, Reese Mogg, Farage, Gove. Liam Fox, your cat, you know, <laughs> cat. all of all of the all of the awful people, and you can just go around, <laughs> drive around to all their houses, lean out the car, and go, "Oi, you wanker!" You better not be referring to my cat on the same <laughs> level as Jacob Reese Mogg. <laughs> well, Moggy is another word for cat. Yeah, but my just saying, my cat is. Hash- is- is a communist. Hashtag just saying. Blatant communist. She, yeah. She wants to destroy the establishment, which is why she keeps trying to attack this podcast. She does keep seizing the means of production. <laughs> but 
And she's hairy, and all communists are hairy. Look at Marx, look at Lenin, look at Stalin. Excellent facial hair. There were quite a few moments in this film where they could have had some dialogue that would have really, really gone a long way towards characterization and plot and made it more interesting. But instead, they decided to have a montage with music. Did you, did you notice that? Yeah, lots of, hey, vinyl's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lots of that. Like, hey, vinyl's quirky and cool, man. She's crazy. She likes Wilco. Yeah, and, and like, I think, well, you know how I feel about the phrase manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. And how I feel as though often it's overused as a trope. As as the as as the describing a trope, and sometimes it's misused for characters. But I think here, and it is it is sexist and problematic, as we discuss yeah. on the Elizabeth Town episode. That's a yeah. Callback. I I think here it's it's kind of an accurate description of this character. Do you not think? No, I I, I, like... I agree completely. Like it, it it refers to yeah the idea of the 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 woman who is sort of very very self consciously kooky and one-dimensional and only really there to serve his interest and to redeem his character and it it felt it felt like that although the film was written by a woman i think yeah it's um lorraine scafaria i think it's pronounced Um, who did a movie called the meddler which i never saw but i heard was very good um about um a mother and daughter played by susan sarandon and rose byrne oh um and i heard that was very good it was kind of like her follow-up to this and um, she i think yeah wrote did, did not write but directed nick and nora's infinite playlist have you seen that yeah i didn't like that at all yeah it's a stinker um, but um yeah <laughs> it's based on a book by david levithan and the book is way better than the film the book is very very interesting and very well done um and i, I really love michael Sarah. i think his performance in it is fine he can do no wrong. But um, yeah, that film was not good. And I think also suffered from some of the same problems of triteness, perhaps, as this one. I um, I don't like him very much in a lot of stuff. Michael so Sarah? my main problem, yeah. What's your beef? Um, what's my beef? He's a poor man's Jesse Eisenberg. He's Jesse Eisenberg without acting talent. Mate, it's the other way around, if anything. <laughs> No way. Jesse Eisenberg has done better Michael Cera movies than Michael Cera has in terms of that kind of indie shtick. Um, And then he's also done very big, amazing movies um, like Hey, I Made Facebook. (laughs) Hey, I Made Facebook. Here's some guys rowing to the Hall of the Mountain King for an hour. (laughs) I'd watch that movie. I'd watch that directed by David Fincher. Um, with a soundtrack from Trent Reznor, ten out of ten. Give it to me. Hook it up to my veins. Yeah, I'm all over that. Just David Fincher films the Oxbridge boat race. Trent Reznor does the score. That's the something I would love to see. Yeah, and you got Michael Cera as the Cox for Oxford, Jesse Eisenberg as the Cox for Cambridge. And you know who'd win? Cambridge, because Jesse <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg is is vastly superior. I think that's very unfair. I think they they come from actually very different traditions. Michael Sarah's done a lot more silly stuff, and I think you're you're typecasting him because he's done some silly things. But no, I like him in I, I like him in the silly things. 
um, Superbad is is peak Sira. He's great in that movie. Yeah, I don't feel like um, Jesse Eisenberg could have done Superbad. I think he could have done Superbad, but he would have been um, what's his face instead. McLovin. No, um, uh, the guy, the other guy of the trio, Jonah Hill. Um, yeah, he Jonah would have Hill? been the Jonah Hill yeah. because he's got that kind of very fast-paced jerkness to him. Um, whereas, whereas Michael Cera is the mumbly awkward geek. <laughs> You're not a fan of the mumbly awkward geek. Well, I, I don't, I don't mind him. I'm kind of just bigging it up because I know you love him quite a lot. The mumbly so pixie just, dream boy. <laughs> he's the mumbly pixie dream boy. Um, but yeah, so I really like him in 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 Superbad. I think when he's doing something silly, that's when I'm really on board with him. Yeah. It's when he does stuff that's a bit more indie, where I'm just like, dude, just get on with it. Stop listening to Wilco and Vinyl and go and put a tie on, for God's sake. <laughs> You're letting the place down. <laughs> put your tie on, sing the national anthem and shut up. Yes, exactly. What are you, un-American, Michael Cera? <laughs> yeah, he is actually Canadian, isn't he? Is he? Is he actually? I think so. Oh, he is. He's Canadian. Well, that explains it then. He's a he's a goddamn traitor. Yeah. In all of those American movies, stick to Canada. Go work yeah. with David Cronenberg and Scott Pilgrim, in which they should have made every one of the six Scott Pilgrim foot books into its own film because they were that good. But instead, they smushed it all into one still very good film. I I do not like the Scott Pilgrim movie. Apart really? From yeah, I'm not a fan Ouch. of it. Ouch! I I really like the comics. The comics I love. Um, but I feel as though it didn't have the nuance that it needed, and so it kind of it just felt a bit shallow. I think, and I didn't really. I I really like Edgar Wright, but I don't like the way that he directed it. Wow, um, and I didn't like the performances. Um, apart from uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name, the the actor, the, um, Chris the, Evans. The, oh yeah, um, Chris Evans, the actor. Yeah, no, he was he was brilliant. I, I really loved that whole section and the vegan police. If yeah. if that part that part is is makes me laugh every single time. But overall, I just didn't get on board. With Although it. it worked, the thing I, I hated so the most better. about that film, I I love it. But they, I was one thing they did that I, I was unforgivable, which is they had the vegan police, but they cut out the best bit of the vegan police, which is a joke. <laughs> where they're all like, "Oh, you've you've eaten some non non vegan food," and it, and he's like, "Oh, that is cheese isn't vegan." And then they go, yeah, you ate a plate of chicken parmesan. And he and he goes, chicken... In the comic, he goes, chicken parmesan isn't vegan. And then the vegan police look at each other and they're like, yeah, isn't a parmesan like a rodent or something? Whereas in the film, he goes, chicken isn't vegan. It dumbs down the joke. And it's the best joke in the whole thing. No, I like... I, I actually prefer it in the, in the movie. It's just like, quick, quick, snap, snap, snap. It's one of the... One of the well, maybe I don't prefer it in the movie, but I think it's one of those moments where by having it being that fast paced, it kind of keeps up the tempo very well, which you kind of need when you've got the rhythm of a film versus yeah. controlling the own pace of a comic. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I was disappointed in the movie, to say the least. Oh, you know who, who would have been better as Scott Pilgrim? Me. Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> um Jesse Eisenberg would have been perfect oh, instead no. of Michael Cera because because Scott Pilgrim is a jerk and 
Jesse Eisenberg does jerk much better than Michael Cera does jerk. That I that I have to agree with, I suppose. Yeah, but he he would have been a better fit. He would have been a better fit for but the But Scott Pilgrim's a jerk with a heart of gold. That's the whole. He point. eventually develops a heart of gold, but to begin with, he is a jerk, and so you needed that initial jerkness. And then you warm to him as he develops as a character and realizes, hey, maybe I should stop abusing all of the people around me and stop being selfish and start being a good a good boy. He is a good boy. <laughs> I said that as if he was a dog. I wish maybe it should have been Airbud. Yeah. Well obviously all films <laughs> Air, should be Airbud. Airbud versus the world. <laughs> That's the one that never got made. Yeah, we solicit we were soliciting um names for our Airbud our new obviously new Airbud spin spin off podcast. Um was it Adam who suggested AirPod? Yes. Which is obviously yeah. would end up getting sued by Apple, but I don't care. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So I enjoyed the dog in, um, I was about to call it 10 Things I Hate About the End of the World, because <laughs> I, I couldn't remember what it was called. So, right, right. Here's the other way that, that Seeking a Friend for the End of the World could have worked really well. As a TV series where each episode covered a different one of the little mini characters or one of the little mini scenarios. So then you could have had 10 things I hate about the end of the world and 10 episodes about the end of the world. And one of them would have been about the guy who hires a hitman to kill him before the end of the world and he deliberately doesn't want to know who he is. One of them could have been about the TGI Fridays that stays open. One of them could have been about the weird um, ex-military people who are who are building a, a little bunker to try and survive it. Um, and you could have had a little bit about each of them. That's actually a really good idea. I would, I would definitely watch that. So, so it just shows that there's so much potential here. Even within the framework that they created, they created all of these great little characters. It's just like, no, why did you... I don't want this weird love interest thing going yeah. on. Yeah. So b- before I got distracted by Michael Cera, I was complaining about the montages with music. Like when... With, and they do it really... It really annoyed me the most when they did it with Martin Sheen. Because they had they had their awkward convo and that was kind of that was okay and they they got over it and that was really good but then to show the kind of him bonding with his dad and them then having this kind of nice happy moment and the closure there there was no dialogue at all and it, that just felt super lazy to me and there's also a little thing with the harmonica where that's like him and his dad are playing like both playing harmonica together out on the porch and she's watching them. But you couldn't hear the harmonica they were actually playing because, like, some like some cheesy song was playing over the top because it was a montage. Why didn't they have a scene where Martin Sheen and Steve Carell like play the harmonicas together? That would have been an amazing scene. I wanted that scene so much, and it didn't give it to me. Yeah, and that again, that would have been great. And there was too much of an emphasis on like maybe there would have been space for it if they didn't have to have it as a romance. Maybe. But at the same time, having said all of this, I really. <laughs> there you go and then that's, you how, just that's have, how it should have gone down and then you just have a I love you dad <laughs> yeah um, I love you too son Martin Sheen's an amazing <laughs> actor Martin Sheen is great and he's always the best thing 
about everything that he's in as well. He's the best thing in the West Wing. <laughs> he is the best. In in a show full of amazing things, he's still the best thing. Yeah. Um, so there was that. It just felt it best. felt lazy to me that they weren't yeah. that they didn't deal with all that stuff properly. Really, it felt very yeah, much. Yeah, it felt like maybe there were scenes that were cut. I don't know, but like you, it felt like it's really weird that they they brought up the father without then developing developing it any further. It, it felt, just felt yeah. like such a wasted opportunity. Completely um, shoehorned in to artificially drive them apart so that she could come back. And then he lays, like, it's only literally, I think it's less than 10 minutes after he's kind of gone to the house and left the letter for his old original person you thought was the love of his life for literally three quarters of the film. And then he lays her down in the plane because obviously Martin Sheen's a pilot. Okay, fine whatever i'm going to accept it i'll allow it and then he's he's putting her asleep in the plane so she hasn't consented either which is a bit weird and then he goes you're the love of my life no no she isn't no she's not you've only known her for 10 minutes and you have you've had he different priorities <laughs> he was talking to the plane <laughs> he's like yeah. i love you plane i love you plane <laughs> um you know, and it's it's possible that obviously you can think someone's in love with one person for three quarters of a film, and then it turns out they're in love with another person. If that's embedded, you know, that could be a really really good twist. But it didn't feel like a twist. It just felt like the film kind of inevitably lumbered towards that in quite an obvious way. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. I think it just why I'm not under, I don't really understand why they made that decision. Um, from a from a pure artistic perspective i understand that it's kind of what the audience would expect but it just didn't feel right it, it just didn't feel right and it's a shame because some of the dialogue was actually really good so like i really love the the little final bit of the movie where they're lying in in on the bed next to one another as the meteorite's about to hit and they have this final conversation um and she's scared and i think that's and she's scared and and i think that's a that's a really powerful scene and you come at the end of the movie you come away thinking like oh god that was really it's really beautifully done but at the same time quite horrible and i felt quite uneasy afterwards thinking like oh god what would i do if if a meteorite was about to hit how would i react that kind of stuff and they managed to convey that fear incredibly well um and and it's one one thing that i think is a real testament to this movie is that they never try and like do a big action thing with it either um, no it's it's you you hear the meteorite hit and everything like that but that's it but it's like it's never anything more than that um yeah and the the last scene really really nailed the the existential dread that you would feel knowing that everything was about to be wiped out you know but which they'd also avoided because and everyone had obviously been avoiding that by either kind of going about their lives or seeking old loves or that kind of thing or whatever so that that ending you know that was fine i didn't i didn't hate that but because i didn't believe their romance i just didn't really care either you know yeah yeah um and and, and i think it's like and yeah there's some really nice little moments in that final final scene and like if it was it's lines where if it had been better embedded with two characters that you cared about and who you believed in the relationship of they'd like really ring home so like i really like that uh penny says to i'm not going to call him by his character name he, he's called Dodge. steve carell i can't i can't bear to say 
that name. Um, she says, I wish I'd met you a long time ago when we were kids. And it's funny because that's something that I say to Katie every so often. It's yeah. like, oh, I wish I'd known you earlier. Um, and she said, we'd, we'd have had more time. And he said, there wouldn't have been enough time. That was really, yeah. really good. And it's, but then, yeah, there's these great little lines. But, but there was some really clunky dialogue as well. Like when they go to the, um, to the house of his, lost, his long lost love and he's talking to her about it, she at one point literally says, that's a good window. <laughs> yes. Like there was some um, incredibly wooden dialogue and just really like artificial nonsense. Yeah, and they did the old um oh I've got a I'm I think they had a fake key around here somewhere. Oh look here it is, and by that point one of them smashed the window to get in. Which is one of yeah. my least favourite movie no. cliches. Yeah. Um And there's and... like when they, they have a conversation about vinyl and she manages to talk about why she likes vinyl so generically that you come away from it knowing nothing about why she likes vinyl, even though she talks about it for like two or three minutes. She's all talks about like how you have to clean the records and stuff rather than about, you know, the record she actually likes or like records she experienced as a kid or whatever. And it was just like, you know, it, it doesn't. Yeah. That side of it felt very artificial and tacked on. Although that also felt incredibly real because I don't know if you've ever spoken to anyone who constantly tells you about the virtues of vinyl music, but it's exactly what they say. <laughs> That's true. It's the, sa- the same as people who like Radiohead. <laughs> but it, 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 yeah, you know what I mean though? When you meet someone who's like, I really love vinyl records, they then never talk about the records that they love. Yeah. It's all about the qualities that vinyl brings. It's like, I don't care about that. What records do you like? It's about do you the, like, fe- like, the feel and the crackle and the, yeah. Yeah, which can all fuck off. What's good is whether the music's good or not. Yeah. If, if you bought fucking, I don't know, Pablo Honey on vinyl, you might as well just buy it on an old, con- like ridiculously overused cassette, you numb nuts. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's still rubbish. Yeah. You're, you're right. That is kind of an accurate portrayal of the people who you know, seem to like vinyl in a performative way that is mostly to do with misplaced nostalgia. Yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah, so so it's very accurate, but it's not accurate in a way that makes you like the character anymore. No. Um, so it's 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 not a not a good look, not a good look, Kira Knightley. Not a look, no. Not a good look. And it didn't help her to become more two or three dimensional to me. Speaking of Radiohead, there was one line in this movie that made me laugh an awful lot. Um, so when they when at the party when the people turn up with heroin. And everybody cheers. Uh, then, then one of the characters says, "Put on some Radiohead. I want to do heroin to Radiohead." <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what I would not do. <laughs> I think I'd want to listen to some like prog, maybe like Rush or something. Yeah, I'd put on um, "Court of the Crimson King" by yeah. King Crimson. That would be that would be my heroin record. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, they got that wrong. Yeah. God. Actually, yeah. After we after we've gone to Jacob Rees Mogg's house and insulted him, we can go to Tom York's house and just flipping the bird. <laughs> to shout, King of Limbs was rubbish. Yeah. King of bullshit, more like. 
That's all I got. You know, the end of the world's coming. I'm not very creative anymore. Okay. <laughs> you just want to go around and insult people you don't like. Yeah. Hail to the beef. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, yeah. I think I think we've said enough about this film, haven't we? Basically. It's a really, really good concept. There's a lot to like about it, but it, as it gets on, it becomes more and more cliched and more and more trying to foist an unwanted romance upon stories that have been built in other directions. So it's very, very much a case of yeah, lost potential and you know, good, good performances and great characters just lost in a, a boring script. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, and for me, the people they meet along the way make it worth watching. And the moments of, like, real-life power that they manage to convey in this movie make it worth watching. But that main romance doesn't really drive home, I guess. Cute dog, though. But cute dog. Um, I have a couple of uh, trivias for you before we, before we go to our ratings. Cool. Um, so the title of the movie was taken from the lyrics to Preaching the End of the World by Chris Cornell. Ah, cool. God rest his soul. Yeah, who was an absolute dude. Yeah, um, legend. Yeah, one of the, one of the greats. Um, and then it's suggested that this movie takes place in um, 2021. Um, based oh, on like okay. things like the expiration date on a bottle of cough medicine and um, a, a, a newspaper that's hanging on a newspaper stand. So it suggested that it takes place in 2021. Oh, I did not notice that. I assumed it was supposed to be the year that it was made, which was 2012. Yeah, and it, it, it doesn't really feel like a near future thing, but I guess that's quite a cute little thing to pick up on if you're, if you're watching it and be like, oh, yeah. Hmm. So if there is... I, I hope that this movie does not prove accurate. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, if it does, maybe we'll be going around to Jacob Rees-Mogg's house sooner than we all think. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless uh, him, the stupid, sexist, racist arsehole. <laughs> hey, you know, if the end of the world comes, it's not going to matter anyway, right? No, exactly. So how are we, how are we going to rate this? Um... 21 days to go in the film but how many days would you need to fulfill all the all the games that you <laughs> haven't played yet before the <laughs> end of the world <laughs> yeah how how much heroin out of 20 yeah would you would you heroin up <laughs> um or yeah or yeah how many days out of out of out of 20 days would you need I, I'm going to give it a 10, which I feel like is being generous. But I feel like there was so there was a lot of things to like about it. And it definitely, yeah, it Bon jovi it. It got halfway there, but was had some real problems as well. So that's as high as I can go. But I feel like that's generous enough. How about yeah, you? I'm going to I'm going to go for a 13 on this one. Oh, um, okay. I really I because I really like the setup and I really like what they did with the third, like the, the minor characters these third parties that they meet along the way um it's just a shame that that core romance that they tried to build doesn't work um yeah. but i think there's enough here for people to watch to be like oh yeah okay i can get on board with what they were trying to do oh definitely and if you if you haven't seen it if you listen to the podcast without having seen it which i think 
a lot of people do, um, which is great. But um, then I do recommend that you watch it because, you know, you might enjoy it. You might not agree with us about about the, the romance itself. You know, you might feel very, very differently or you might you might hate the, the extraneous characters and just want them to get together. So no, I, th- I think it's definitely a film that you should see. Um, it's it's interesting in that regard. It's not it's not so so dull. It's not inconsequential. You know, it's definitely very interesting, but it's both very interesting and very dull at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I I get what you mean. It's um, definitely worth watching. Whatever you come out of it with, there's something here that's interesting, even if you don't find the movie itself enthralling. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that was a good choice. A nice, nice, refreshing break. Oh, thank you very much. Cool. So, for our next one, it's my choice. Um, friend of the podcast, Killian Curran, has been tweeting us quite a lot about this film. Um, so I decided to look it up. And it's it's a film I had not heard of called Martha Meet Frank Daniel and Lawrence. And it's from the 90s. And I'd never even heard of it. And it looks really interesting. Um, but also potentially maybe a bit terrible about an American woman who ends up um, in a sort of love quadrangle with three British men. And it looks quite interesting. And there's obviously a reason why we haven't heard of it. So something like that is always interesting to explore. So we're going to hit that next. Awesome. I've actually seen that. Have you? It must have been about a decade ago, possibly Uh, longer. But I have actually seen that movie. I can remember very little about it at all. Um, But yes, I have seen it. Ah, cool. So yeah, that'll be next week. But in the meantime, if you if you have seen Seeking a Friend for the End of the World and want to sh- share any of your opinions, you, know, you can email us, bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a tweet at bigboysdon'tpod. Let us know some more, um, some suggestions for your heroin albums. Yes, yeah. What would be, what would, what would you listen to on heroin as the world was coming to an end? Yeah, that's what we really want to know. And, you know, I, I haven't, ever done the whole kind of podcast or the, the the rate comment and subscribe thing that much but if you like what we do would be really really nice if you could leave us a nice review on itunes or any other pod platforms because that helps us to you know climb the charts helps more people to find us discoverability because you know we need to spread the gospel of big boys don't cry far and wide so if you like it you know tell your mates do a tweet wouldn't it be nice to leave a review we would be really grateful. <laughs> you know, it seems the more we talk about it, it only makes it worse to live without it. So give us five stars. Now, if you don't give us a review after that, I'm going to be very disappointed in you all. That's definitely like the most persuasive, like, please review our podcast thing that I've ever heard. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. Help us out. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't it wouldn't it be nice? Thanks. But Thank yeah, we really nice. hope you enjoyed this episode, and we're looking forward to coming back next week to talk about Martha Meet. What are their names? Frank, Frank, Daniel, Meet and Lawrence. Frank, Frank, Jiminy, and Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Daniel, and Lawrence. How yeah. dare you? All right. Well, thanks a lot for listening. We shall be back. Bye bye. Bye.
drinks the whiskey drink, he drinks the vodka drink, he drinks the lager drink, he drinks the cider drink, he sings the songs that remind him of the good times, he sings the songs that remind him of the best times. <laughs> 